Paul was educated in Tarsus, educated under the greatest minds, both in the, the, the rabbinical schools and in the world. His rhetoric, his style of writing is so sophisticated. It's, it's as though he can weave the, the, the highest of Greek rhetoric in with Hebrew rhetoric, mix them together, make it somehow work. It's, it's like weaving different genres and, and all of it comes out in just an amazing way. And Peter was educated on the Sea of Galilee. He knew how to catch fish. And most of the time, he's not doing that even so particularly well, at least when we read about it. And he writes, um, <laughs> he writes about Paul. He says, Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures, to their own destruction. Now, he's putting a little warning shot out there as well. But at the same time, I think he's also giving a little of empathy that, yeah, you know what? As you read Paul's stuff, it's, it's going to be a little bit hard. I get it. Think of me trying to have to read that stuff. But I got it and I love it. And, and as I, I wrestle with it, it has definitely enriched me as I get to know Jesus Christ exalted better and better. So uh, here, here we go as we go from this opening of the book of Ephesians with a 30-word greeting. And then right away, Paul launches into a 202-word mad flow of theological precious gems that comes about all of the riches that we have in Christ. And then he takes us another step higher with another 177-word sentence in the Greek to now be able to show us even more what we have in Christ and gives us a bit of a peek as to what the exalted Christ is really like. So th this is spectacular stuff that we're about to engage in. Let's pray together and then we'll read from Ephesians 1. Father, just as Paul prayed for the brothers and sisters in Ephesus and Asia, all that would receive this letter as it circulated through the churches, the amazement that they must have had to be able to contemplate such wonderful things. I pray that we too can give our full attention to these scriptures that you've captured for us, for those that have given their lives so that we would have these scriptures passed down to us with complete reliability and validity, uh, that we can have an assurance of what it is that is your will through these words. Please, God, help us to rejoice as well and help us also to fight for understanding because it is so worth it. Thank you, God, for giving this to us. Help us to be bound together by the blood of Christ and our excitement in understanding more deeply these things of Christ, that we'll be able to appreciate it not only in our head, but our heart, uh, and to allow it to really penetrate our all, being in all and through all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to actually take this section because it uh, is so rich in two parts. We'll, we'll, read, we'll uh, study parts of it this week. And uh, at midweek, we'll, we'll continue in this first chapter with, with more study. And then next Sunday, we're coming right back again to this section of Scripture 2 from 15 to 23 uh, to, to deepen our understanding of what it is that Paul gives us here. So here we read in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
And so now, in a sense, Paul's going to share a bit of his prayer journal with these saints that are here. And I think if somebody were to kind of follow me around and listen to my prayers for, for, for you all, they wouldn't be anything close to this. It would be like, Lord, be with Ben. Uh, please, God, uh, encourage Scott. Uh, please, Lord, help uh, Victoria to, to, uh, to, to love you even more. Uh, please, God, help uh, Rodolfo Jr. Uh, to be excited about the gospel. I, I mean, I, I do what I can, but it is lame in comparison to, to what it is that we've got coming our way right now from Paul. But imagine if you knew someone was praying for you like this. How encouraged you would be as you strode through your day knowing you had that kind of air cover of prayer to Jesus. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. That'll be the subject of what we do next week. So deep, so big, we will get into knowing God in next week's sermon. But let's, let's go on here. I pray, something we've just sung about here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Only time this phrase is used in the entire Bible, the eyes of your heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. A lot of stuff. And, and to even just start to be able to embrace it is very difficult. So we're going to take this piece by piece and really make sure that we don't just skip through this lovely capturing of God's gift that he wants us to understand. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a look at the, uh, the NET translation. And they do a pretty good job here of, of capturing what is going to be at the heart of this section. And the heart of this section is the things that God wants you to know. The things that Jesus is excited to have revealed to you. And of course, the things that Paul is praying. If you could get this, you're going to have a pretty good day. And he says, since... Now, this is great. As, as we think of open the eyes of my heart, even as we sing the song, we sing it as though the eyes of our heart are shut tight. But in the text and in the Greek... Paul writes, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, is, is probably the most proper way of understanding what is in this text. And, and that is the case. As you sit here, as you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, born of water and spirit, that wasn't for nothing. 
That was so that your eyes would be flung open, the scales would fall from your eyes, the way that you looked at the world would no longer be the way that you processed all of the data, the information, any longer. And how true is that? I think about the way that I would look at different situations before I was in Christ, and then the way that I look at them now. And it is so dramatically different. Some of my like close, close friends and family back before March 17th of 1973 of 1993 and, and how I viewed them. And then I remember coming back to them just a year later and sitting down with them as well and thinking, oh, my goodness, did did everybody drink this much before? Was there this much cursing around the dinner table? I thought this family was like the church family of the neighborhood. Like, how did I not hear any of this, see any of this? Even more embarrassingly, movies that I grew up with that I thought, oh, I cannot wait to show my kids Stripes, Animal House, uh, 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 Trading Places, uh, Delirious. Don't ever watch that. Uh, Like, oh, my goodness, they they were so great. And uh, and I remember we went to a uh, one, one of our retreats a few years back and and, and I, I brought a movie and I think it was the movie Stripes. I was like, oh, it was a happy little, you know, comic romp, you know, through basic training and, you know, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and, you know, what, what it is they all have to do. And I was like, whoa, like how much just filthy, dirty, risque humor was through all of that? Never saw it, never heard it until the eyes of my heart had been enlightened. And it's not like, oh, but now I'm a killjoy because everything looks like it's nasty. No, no, now I appreciate other things so much more dearly as well. And I I can't rack that up to anything other than the Holy Spirit has really turned me into someone who sees things from a completely different perspective. So anyway, that's all a long kind of preamble here to to the heart of what I want to get at. In, In this passage... There are three main things that since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, that Paul is excited for you to know. And since the eyes of your hearts have been enlightened, he can pray for this. If the eyes of your heart have not been enlightened, well, these are not the most appropriate prayers for you. It would be that hopefully one day the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you will be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And if if you sit here without that, this will be a, a terribly difficult task for you to be able to appreciate. And... And and nonetheless, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, here are the three things that Paul prays for. And he structures them this way. Each of them begins with, what is colon? And um, some some kind of New Testament scholars call this section of scripture the tri-colon crescendo. Because with each description of what he wants you to know, it gets bigger and more magnified and more magnificent. And so the first thing, since the eyes of your heart have been opened... That I want you to get on straight, says Paul, is the hope of his calling. And I'll I'll take each of these in turn. Secondly is, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then third, what is the incomparably greatness of his power or the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. Here's just, again, it's still overwhelming. I get it. It has been for me too until I just keep getting more uh, narrow and narrow in all of this. But 
it, this is what's interesting as he brings these three things to bear is that it's a crescendo that increases in, as I mentioned, magnitude and length. So the first thing that he writes about in the original language is, is about uh, 10 words in the original Greek. The second, that's the hope of his calling. The second one, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, is almost, it's, it's, Paul almost exactly doubles each of these now. You go from 10 to 20 to 40 words. So the, the first one, hope of his calling, 10 words. The wealth of his glorious inheritance, 20 words. And then the, the power that is described in a lot of different ways, 40 words as it goes on. I know, a little bit kind of inside baseball nerdy stuff here right now, but it, it is interesting that you get a little peek at how Paul is, is using some very specific rhetorical devices to an original audience that might kind of grasp onto this because those in Ephesus would have been rather appreciative of, of kind of public speaking rhetorical skills. As a matter of fact, in, uh, in, in, in the uh, early church during that time, they would have competitions at the games. In, in wherever you would have the games, whether it be in Corinth or Athens or Olympus or even Ephesus. But games occurred everywhere. But the games did not just include physical competition. One of the biggest attractions of the games were rhetorical competitions. Where you would stand up and with a great flourish be able to deliver a persuasive idea to the crowds. And they would marvel at your ability to use pathos and ethos and logos to, to be able to bring conviction to the people and take them to great heights and bring them to great depths and to eventually, in the end, to be able to bring it all together, tie it up with a nice bow and, and give you an idea that has suddenly just opened your eyes and changed your life. So this is the, the early crowds that were hearing all of this were used to that. We're used to sitcoms. Like that's what, what, what we grab onto. So, we're not kind of in that, that same mode, and we've kind of become a bit flabby, in, in a sense, of our ability to be able to appreciate the things that even kind of the everyday man would have appreciated a whole lot more, having received some of the, the information from the New Testament. But, if I were to kind of use this kind of a tricolon crescendo that, that he used, th this is a, a, a graphical interpretation based on doubling the font <laughs> is what I did of, of, of each of the ideas that Paul brings here. Hope, inheritance and power. That's all I want to tackle this morning. Hope, inheritance and power for us to be able to appreciate this bit of the letter. We'll work on knowing God and how it is that we can come to know Jesus all the better next week. But let's start with this and let's start with hope. Now Paul writes about hope in, in more than a few places here. And he's already talked to them about the great hope that they have in Christ uh, due to all of the spiritual blessings that are theirs. He, he will then later remind them, especially of the Gentiles who are receiving this letter, and they are the primary audience throughout Asia receiving this letter. And he says to them later in chapter 2, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were, here it is, without hope and without God in the world. In the world right now, you are with God and so you are with hope. That hope is yours. 
And it will be revealed even more demonstrably when Jesus returns. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2. Dear friends, we're now children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But it's still hope. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Whatever that means. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. When we recognize the depth to which this is our hope, well then, it does leave us with beautiful anticipation of could it be just around the bend? Will it be even during this service? Will it be later today that the great appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be? Because when it happens, I have God and I have hope. Verse Thessalonians talks about the same idea in, in chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Why? So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Death is not meant to be a time of, of uh, hopeless grieving. Yes, there is grieving always, but not grieving like those who have no hope. When there is hope and there is a funeral and that person is in Christ... It's a celebration. Any of those that, that, that we've been a part of, it has been like, oh man, I hope I have one like that. Because the hope is that dear. It changes everything. But it especially changes that you no longer even have to fear death. Jen Ledbetter's nodding right now because we, we all have that precious memory of, of um, that, that funeral. Uh, the, the, the hope that, that we use, though, and we've talked about this, is that... We use our definition of hope and not the biblical definition of hope. And it's hard to get away from. And you have to remind yourself of it all the time. Right? And, and there's lots of Steelers fans here. And suddenly they're more, suddenly they're more hopeful. Has nothing to do with Jesus. Has nothing to do with the Bible. Has a lot to do with referees. And... But, but anyway, their hope of the next round is, let's just say, not ironclad guaranteed. But biblical hope is exactly that. And, and it would be as though you were a Steeler fan. Who, who do they play next? Do they play New England next? The Broncos. Oh, I have a little bit of hope. Um, but... But so, but it'd be as though you're a Steelers fan and you have such hope that you know there is no possible way that the victory is not yours. So you might, you could plop it all down. Go ahead and take the second mortgage. You can do it. You put it all down. You have that kind of a rock solid certainty about the future. Hope is always about the future, but in Christ, the future is absolutely certain. Now, that was an illustration about gambling, which I do not condone, which I do regard as the sin of folly, by the way. And if you're wondering what is a sin of folly, gambling would be that. Unless it's a very small amount and it has to do with guys in an athletic competition. Let's say golf or cornhole or frisbee golf, for example. It's under $2. Then it's not folly. 
Then it's just good, clean fun among the boys. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we, we cannot any longer allow the corruption of the word hope to come into our vocabulary. And find a new word when you're, when you're thinking of it for, for something going on in, in, in the world. Uh, but don't let it creep back into any Bible passages ever again. It keeps you from what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to have joy and security. But if you let a worldly corruption of hope into your lexicon of understanding of the New Testament, you're not going to be as secure in your standing in Christ. And by the way, you're going to sin. Sadly, that's a, a reality. And, but when that occurs, if you have in any way undermined your definition of hope, you're not going to have the certainty or the security that you were meant to have. And, and I'm not saying that this is your hope just to everybody. This is if you are in God. And if you, and it is the hope of your calling. But it's not your calling in this passage, which is interesting. It is the hope of His calling. He called you. He arranged. You're not all that. You didn't arrange time and place for you to be able to hear and understand and respond to the Word of God. You're not just some kind of happy little cosmic accident. You are here because God has arranged time and place and space for, for all of this to be the case. You are His calling. And, and this is of His design and you are His precious possession that we'll get to in just a moment. Your hope is secure. And so secure that... Th think of Christmas Day. I love that. It's always my idea of hope. Christmas Day for, for, for the kids in our congregation, they, they go to bed hopeful that Christmas is really going to come and that there really will be family and joy and presence and, and all of that. And I, I get that there are some, some difficult situations. But, but for the most part, them going to sleep with hope is completely valid. And, and what is realized in the morning completely validates the hope that they went to bed with the night before. And you're meant to take every step, go to sleep every night, wake up every morning with this hope. Not the hope that you're all that, but the hope that you have a good parent in God who is going to give you the gifts that he has promised to you. And it's not something that you made up. And it's not something that you kind of talk about to try to, in a sense, pump yourself up each day to get through the day. It's not the hope of your calling. It's the hope of His calling Amen. to you. Amen. Inheritance. This is an interesting one because I've tried to wrestle with exactly what Paul meant when he says what, what is the inheritance. Um, in, in the way he puts it, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It's not as not as what is your inheritance, not even what is your glorious inheritance, but what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance that, that he is giving you. But I always read that and I, I often think of it as what's coming my way. What is my inheritance? And interestingly, no one who does any kind of exegetical work that I read looks at it that way. But rather... God wants you to have the eyes of your heart opened so that you can see what richness and what glory 
is in his inheritance, that inheritance is in his people. That is, the inheritance is you. We are the inheritance of God. It harkens back, for, for a Gentile audience to hear this, it would harken back to them as they stood as God-fearers, listening to the law being written, and especially they would have heard Deuteronomy 32 again and again and again, where the Bible there says about God and the people of Israel, uh, 32 verses 8 and 9, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, that is, He gave them their allotted lands, when He divided up all mankind, He set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of sons of Israel. And that's talking about how the lot fell in different places and, and Israel tribes, 12 of them, had different places where they were to live. But then it goes on to say in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 32, for the Lord's portion, again, the people all got their portion, but the Lord's portion is his people. They are his allotted inheritance. That is Jacob or Israel. That is God's inheritance. Psalm 33 says something really quite touching on this matter. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. This is what Paul wants your eyes open to be able to see. That, yeah, you, you do have a good inheritance coming. And he talked about that earlier in uh, verses 3 through 14. That's been covered. Now what he wants your eyes open to see? Gentiles, you too. You are now God's treasured possession. You are that pleasing excitement portion that is his. What he claims as his own, that he wants for himself, a jealous God who loves you dearly and wants you for himself, it's you. And if you open the eyes of your heart and see what is the delight of God, what is the inheritance of God, is it not you? We are the glorious inheritance of God because we are the people of God. Paul writes in Titus, Jesus, who gave himself up to ransom us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good. When you know that you are God's, it does leave you eager to do good. When you know that, yes, you even as Gentiles, yes, even you, you're the special portion that God wants. First Peter 2 says it in another way, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Go ahead and declare it. Declare the special praises of God. Because you are his. You've got that right. You've got that privilege. And I hope you have that joy as well. Knowing you're standing in the Lord. What amazing things to contemplate. At this kind of apex moment of the New Testament. That Paul wants us to know. No wonder he prays with such earnestness. That all of you could have moments where this becomes clarity. And then finally, this is one. It's tough to even fully comprehend. And it's, it's where they pile up the words. Not only is it an incomparably great power. Incomparable means it can't be compared to anything else. 
incomparably great power. You, you probably heard plenty of times people say that the Greek word for power is dunamis, where we get dynamite. The Y is a upsalom. Uh, later on, it, it started to be pronounced as a, uh, like a, an I sound. So dynamite or dunamis or dynamis uh, is, is the word that is there. You know, there was a, a news report that helped me to try to f- somehow dimensionalize power that is not easy to kind of wrap my mind around. Incomparably vast and great power. And it's a, a little bit of a sobering idea. And it's that North Korea successfully tested a hydrogen bomb this past week. Don't. Because a hydrogen bomb is a factor versus, let's say, the, the, the fission that occurred over Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Over Hiroshima, it's, it's about 100 times the scale of, of what happened over Hiroshima. And they've successfully tested it. That, that bomb, if it were to, let's say, go off over downtown Norfolk, would leave a crater that would, um, that, that would be a, approximately a thousand feet across and deeper than any building in, in Norfolk. Uh, inside of that first uh, four, four miles, you wouldn't recognize anything at all. Not that it would be absolutely vaporized, but it would be, you know, in a sense, will it blend? If you've seen the videos, uh, that, that would be the effect of everything within that radius. We could, we could keep moving the radius out uh, to, to even recognize the, you know, the percent of 98, 98% of death uh, would be a, a radius that does cover most of Southampton roads. That's just one bomb that would be released. And you think of the power and we're talking about an atom, a hydrogen atom. And that's the power in a single hydrogen atom through, through fission and what would result from that. Wow, that's, that's power hard to wrap, wrap your mind around. And to know that God made every single atom. And that at the, at the end of time, all of this will be brought to great fire and brought to to degrade recreation uh, through, through his power. But the power that he describes here is a power that you can't even compare to anything. So even what I just talked about, wow. I, I mean, imagine if you knew that bomb was on its way, right? I mean, oh, dang. Like, it's not like you'd be like, that's right, bring it on. Come on, I can stand up to that power. I've been working out. I'm ready for this. <laughs> Vaporized. <laughs> I mean, what? there's no comparison to even that power. Now, let's talk about a power that would take that and, and make it likewise ridiculous to even begin a comparison to it. But it is that power is the same as his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, he prays not so that you will pray for that power, not so that you will have that power, but he prays so that with these enlightened eyes of your heart, you will realize that that is your power. 
And oftentimes, when we pray for the powerful intervention of the Lord, many times those prayers, for at least me, when I, when I take a raw inventory of my prayer life, it's more me praying for a chance to kind of overcome something in my life, to, to have some sort of kind of personal victory, personal effectiveness. But it comes down to something very small. Just me, 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 me. But all of this is for us to be in alignment with His will. That all of this is about a power that allows you to actually put aside self, stop making life about something so small as self, and to realize when we do, we then no longer cap, but instead unleash this very same power. Resurrection power, the power for selfless service in alignment with the will of Jesus Christ. If we can just see it with open eyes, you realize that power resides in every one of us. There's only one thing that's blocking it. Every one of us. And if we're happy with just being a seed, well then that's all that will be, Jesus says. But a seed that falls to the ground and dies then multiplies in power to be something rather significant. Selflessness unleashes this power. But it's not a selflessness then to just have this power applied to self. But a selflessness that then is applied to the body of Christ, to the work of Christ, and to the will of God in our lives. This is plenty for us to even begin to chew on. Plus, on top of everything that we looked at last week, that we were chosen, adopted, and spirit-marked as well. And we don't want to just zip past this and have a couple little things that we do. I want to see if we can somehow really capture, hold on to all this gifting that is ours in grace. And so as a kind of a a simple charge from, from this passage that we've got here, consider what we've studied and encourage not just one another, but someone. You know, okay, I'm going to encourage, we'll encourage one another daily. If it's vague, it won't happen. But if you've got somebody in mind, this will happen. And, and I don't care if you write down one name or seven names, but I want you to write down one name right now, that in addition to considering all of this for yourself, that you will every day encourage that person. Not encourage them with kind of empty platitudes, right? Lewis was just baptized into Christ. Hey man, Lewis, I'm going to encourage you. Lewis, man, you're awesome. I encouraged Lewis today. Well, what's the difference between that and Lewis? I want you to know that you are the glorious, rich inheritance that is God's. And you're his special possession. You are treasured in his sight. What's better? That or you're awesome. Uh, The empty platitudes, I I think, have substituted for a lazy way of fulfilling one of the passages that we hold dear. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Let's see if we can't solidify and cement these learnings at the hilltop moment in in Ephesians' letter for us, not only to contemplate for ourselves, but for others. Now, uh, the things that we looked at last week is we're chosen, adopted, ransomed, and spirit-marked. And this week, uh, that we have a vast hope, we are the inheritance, and we have a power. It's interesting that if you, if you take those, it forms a little acronym. There's also seven 
uh, items there. You got seven days as you encourage one another daily. If you want to pick someone and just pile on them, right? I mean, you know what? Look at that. Harrison needs some encouragement. So I'm going to talk about how he's chosen, adopted, ransomed, spirit marked for the return of Christ. That, that he has a hope that is rock solid, an inheritance that is, that, that is him and the power. I mean, if that's happening day after day, my goodness, that's a pretty good week for Harrison. I'm not really saying I'm going to do that. I'm just giving an example in case somebody would want to do that for you. But maybe it will be. Um, that that, that it will, will be in the process. But I, I think this is a, a great way for us to not move away from all this teaching just so it kind of filters out into the ether, into nothingness, but so that it is solidified for us. So brothers and sisters, encourage one another, specifically encourage someone daily with these magnificent truths of the gospel. Amen.